Now, um, today's talk, what we're, what we're discussing and trying to think biblically about is men who have a mission. Non-tenant is a guy who blogs and writes for men, and he says, a man with a mission is hard to control, hard to cancel, and dangerous to a society that wants no competition from the righteous. A man with a mission is hard to control, hard to cancel, and dangerous. I like that. I like that language. We're, today we're going to be addressing the need of us to have the sense of mission in our life, for men to have the sense of mission in their life, how to get one, and how to make sure that it is biblical. So, how would you answer it? Just right now, before we start going into it, how would you answer the question if I was to ask you, what is your mission in life? If you have one, how did you develop it? How did you discern that that is what God wants you to aim at in life? And does God smile on it? Will God bless it? Is your mission something that glorifies Him? Right? Men who struggle with motivation, lethargy in life, spiritual complacency, and, and just all-around laziness in their life do so because they lack mission. They lack a mission objective. They lack drive. And those who lack direction take very little initiative on things. They need to be coached at every point. They need to be coached to join a church, coached to do good in the world, coached to do what is good for the kids, coached to do good things. Because they don't have directive, drive, mission, zeal for themselves. So, today, I'm going to use the term mission to particularly mean a particular vision of why God made you a man. Remember? We're not accidentally men. God didn't flip a coin. You didn't evolve accidentally with the you know, body that you have. You were made intentionally by God as a man. So to have a vision of a mission for your life is to have a particular vision of why God made you a man and what he put you on earth to accomplish. That is to have a plan on how you can live your life productively to the glory of God. A specific plan on how you can have a productive life to the glory of God. That's what we're asking. First of all, why mission matters. Mission matters because you are made men. Being a male, well, being a human obviously means to be made in the image of God. We all know that. And we know that male and female are equally in the image of God. But we are not in the image of God in the same way. The image of God has a different shape for men than it does for women. It has a different uh, direction. It has a, a, a different style or tone, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the shape of masculinity, the shape of the image of God that men have specifically is shown to us in Genesis 1 through 2. Um, in verse 1, man is told to take dominion or dominate, right? be a lord, exercise lordship. Men, men are also told in Genesis 1 verse 28, Adam's told to procreate, right? Become fathers. That's part of the maleness of the image of God in us. Uh, in chapter 2 verse 15, he's told to work and keep the garden. So we're to be workers and keepers. That's part of the male DNA, part of how we image God through our working. In chapter 2 verse 24, we are to marry a helper that is fit for us and helpful to our mission. That's something, of course, that women don't do. They don't marry a helper. They marry a man, a leader. We marry a helper, an equal and a helper. So all of these are the masculine elements to the image of God. And the next thing I want to say is they're directional. Like they, they, they move in a direction and they, they work as they move forward somewhere. 
none of them are sort of stagnant. You can't do any of these things standing still. Um, uh, you can't do any of them, in other words, if you don't have a mission. You can't do them the way God wants us to do them if we don't have a purpose or a direction or movement in a, in a direction. So when I ask you, what is your mission in life? What I'm asking you is, what did God make you specifically a man to do? How did he make it? Why did he give you the, the ability and the command to take dominion, procreate, be a worker, marry a helper? Why did he make you able to do those things? Have you thought about it? The answer, of course, can be given to us pretty uh, uh, generally from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Why did God make you a man? Because you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So to walk in the works that he has prepared beforehand is why God made me a man. For you to walk in the, in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you, that's why God made you a man. And there are specifics and a particular vision for each of us that we need to know. So all of this, one thing I would want to point out, uh, because it can seem a strange uh, thing to have to do, especially to older guys or to men from another generation, it may, seem, it may seem very strange to have to talk about why we need to want to or why we need to aim or even be intentional about things like getting a job, accomplishing things, marrying a woman, being a father, raising the next generation. If you were maybe in other cultures around the world or an earlier generation in Australia, come here, mate. I'm not convinced he didn't break his finger earlier, so I'm keeping a close eye on him. But he seems right. Thank you for your patience. Uh, so, because in other generations, or maybe even modern day other cultures, you could sort of be a guy that drifts and isn't super intentional about your life, and you'll still end up passing those checkpoints because that was the drift and the current of the culture anyway. Like, a couple of generations ago, it wasn't a neutral thing to not get married, to not get a good hard working job, to not contribute, to not be a worker, to not be a father. Like that, that, You could be a drifter through life and you would still sort of be naturally passed through those checkpoints. But we're in a place in our culture because of feminism, the sexual revolution, the breakdown of the nuclear family um, and the general weakness of evangelical leaders that things like getting a job, taking dominion, being a father, having a, a working and keeping mindset, marrying a woman, this stuff has not become expected natural uh, flow of the current. We are now actually driving uphill. We are now swimming upstream to try and make that the, the, the understanding of what it is to be a man in our culture. So we have to be intentional about what other cultures or generations didn't so much have to be intentional about. Our generation is, if you're just a drifter, you end up being jobless, wifeless, childless, spineless, and logging 30 hours a week on gaming. When we talk about mission, the fact that God made men for mission is why the gaming industry last year pulled $175 billion in revenue. One, a console gaming, so consoles, PCs, phone, $175 billion in revenue. Just to put that into perspective, the U.S. military, the greatest armed force that has ever existed in the greatest empire in the history of the world, 
their budget is only three times that. So dudes sitting on a chair playing Imaginary War has the budget of one-third of the U.S. military. That's Air Force, Space Force, Air, you know, Navy, and Army. Put that into $175 billion. Because the gaming, the gaming companies get it. The gaming companies get it. Men are made to want to join a team, establish objectives, fight a war, take ground, kill giants, topple kingdoms, slay dragons, and win the girl. That's in your blood. That's why they can extract so many hours, so many dollars out of men because of that. They know that's in our blood. Gaming offers, with very little buy-in and no real consequences in the world, what God made us to do, which is be on mission and have a sense of accomplishment in that mission. So, that's why mission is important. The next one is how mission orders your life. So, when you have a mission, a particular vision for what God wants you to do in life, how God wants you to glorify Him, why He made you a man, what He wants you to accomplish, this puts all of your obligations and priorities and responsibilities into order. It helps prioritize those things that God has given us to do. So we can look at the very good and biblical things that God gives us, which is have a work and vocation, get married, be a father, um, uh, and be in a church. All of that gets gets re reshaped and reprioritized when you think about it in terms of you being on a mission that God gave you. So, for example, uh, marriage. No, let's start first of all with uh, with your job. Uh, Adam was given a mission. His broad mission was be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he was told, produce families and cities and nations that reflect the glory of God. Was he going to be able to do that on his own? Absolutely not. Was he going to be able to do that um, by doing one task? Like, could he be a specialist and just have one trade that he does and then accomplish all of that? No, there was many things involved in that enormous mission. So then God gave him in Genesis 2 verse 15, a specific working vocation job. And he told him, uh, we see in Genesis 2, the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Working and keeping was an essential part to Adam's mission in the garden. And it's essential for us as being men. But your vocation, your working and keeping nine to five or more job is not your mission. It's a part of your mission. For Adam, working and keeping the garden was a part of taking the dominion of God over the whole earth, but it wasn't just that. Your mission has to be bigger than just your vocation. Uh, uh, otherwise, your mission for life, like the, the thing you're aiming at in life, is just the last task your boss gave you to do. And that sucks. That's a really underwhelming, and you're selling yourself way short. That's a really unsatisfying way to live. Why am I getting up in the morning? What's driving me? Well, the last assignment I was given. Or if you're in a job that doesn't really have long-term assignments, it's sort of just rock up, work, go home, you'll find yourself even less motivated. So working is a part of your mission. Your job is an essential part of your mission, but it's not the entire mission. To understand your mission is to understand that work is a means of achieving your mission. So income, wealth, investments, skills, the freedom it brings to be independent. Or if your job is very closely aligned to your mission, then the actual tasks you're doing in your mission, 
Your work enables you to achieve your mission, but it is not itself the mission. Does that make sense? Um, work is for the mission. Work is not the mission. Secondly, marriage. God gave us marriage. But we should see marriage as in the context of men with mission. God said to Adam in Genesis 2, he says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So note, this need for a helper comes after the mission. Adam's given a mission, which he could not do on his own. Be fruitful, multiply. Well, that you need a woman for that. You, in, especially, you, you need a helper with a womb and a helper who can nourish kids and a helper who can focus on the kids and a helper who can help create adults. Uh, he needed a, a helper who could um, a, a assist him in exercising lordship over the whole earth, but he could not do it on his own. So the mission is first, the helper comes along. A helper needed to be like him, intelligent, able-bodied, and nurture the humans they multiplied. And he really, really needed one. And God made a tremendous one for him, right? When Adam sees Eve, he explodes with, this is perfect. This is designed to the, t this woman is my bone, she's my flesh, but she's better than me. It's beautiful. This whole thing, design is great. And they loved each other. Um, but what created the need for a spouse? It was the fact that he had a mission to accomplish. That's why he needed her. Your wife is not the mission. She is a helper on the mission. Or guys, your future wife is not the mission. She is a helper on the mission. If you make your wife the mission, then first of all, you ignore 1 Corinthians 11 verse 9, which says that the man was not created for the woman. The woman was created for the man. Because the woman is not given an, a, 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 uh, an individual mission. She's told, find a man on mission and marry him and help him. We've both been created for God, but man is given the mission. The woman is given the task to marry a man on a mission. If you make your wife the mission, you upset God's order. That's the first. Second, though, if you make your wife the mission, you buy into the silly pagan I idea that happy wife equals happy life. Not true. If happy wife, happy life is your idea, that, it, that, that makes for a lousy life mission because your whole ideology of your life becomes, I exist to keep her satisfied, right? Like you're some temple priest in a pagan temple whose life job is to keep the cow fat. It moves, I give it something. I serve it. I, I, I do all of that. And that's not an insult at women. That's a call to, to, to think higher of your job than do to just exist to keep somebody happy. It's not. Thirdly, what you do, if you create that uh, idea that your life job is to find a wife and make her happy, you idolize her as your purpose and you destroy your marriage. You crush your wife because she now becomes the idol that you're serving that needs to reflect back to you how great you're doing, how well you're doing, whatever. Like She needs to affirm to you how that you're accomplishing your, your mission and that's not biblical. So your wife is not the mission because it's not God's order, 1 Corinthians. You sell yourself short like a temple priest. You crush your wife, putting expectations on her that she's not meant to carry, and you lose her respect. It is an effect of the fall that women sinfully, in general, women sinfully desire to be idolized. But like all sin, it is not satisfying. 
So when you idolize your wife or a woman, you quickly she, she quickly becomes unimpressed with you because you're more like a slave than a king. And she's got in her blood to love and respect a king kind of guy, not a slave kind of guy. And if you don't have a mission, that is what feeds into all of this. Her respect is related to your taking dominion for God in your mission. So, so some people will hear what I've said there, believe it or not, and they get offended. Can you believe that? They're not here. But some people would hear that and go, that's really derogatory. You should want a woman and she should not be some means to a mission. She, you should just love her for herself. And yeah, happy wife is happy life. And to speak all this biblical way is to, uh, you know, uh, insult and degrade women. It is, in fact, the exact opposite. It is exactly the opposite. Men who say that they're better than us because they're egalitarians and they will say, um, I don't, my wife is not just a helper on my mission. She, you know, whatever. And, and men who might say, I'm not going to find a woman who can help me on my mission. I'm just, gonna, you know, that's, that's degrading. You're actually degrading women more because God says she's a great helper on a mission and you say, nope, she doesn't need a mission. She can reach her capacity without a mission in life because what they're really good for is giving me affection, giving me attention, giving me love and companionship. But God made them to be co-mission carriers. And if you don't have that as your design, you're actually degrading a woman by saying, you know, she, she's so magnificent that she can just fawn over me without a mission in life. She doesn't need to accomplish anything. She's put on earth to do what? Just adore at Adam's feet, I guess. Wrong. She's given the great and God-glorifying task of joining a man on mission. So this would be uh, maybe inform some single men's hearts. Maybe you're praying to God to give you a wife. You should use the biblical word and say, God, please give me a helper. Because then you can imagine God speaking back to you and saying, why would I give you a helper for a mission you're not on? You can do sitting still just fine on your own. What instead you should pray for is mission, movement on the mission, and a woman who can join that, be blessed in the joining that, and be on mission with you. Then you're somebody who needs a helper. Without a mission, you can be on your own all that you like. So uh, the, the next thing that we should see as ordered by mission is being a father. Most men want to be a father, at least in idea, though they don't want to change any nappies or have any of the late night whatevers or have your schedule disrupted. We don't want that, but we'd love the idea of having sons. If they can just be injected into our life at 18 and stable, that'd be great. It's not how it works. Hey, Artie, way more fun than that. God's got way more sanctifying to do in us than that. But being a father is ordered by the whole mission. Adam was told, be fruitful and multiply. But why was he told to be fruitful and multiply? It was so that more of him could take dominion over the earth for God's glory. So, so if we make fatherhood the mission, just being a father, that's just multiplication. That's not discipleship or being fruitful. Anybody can reproduce, right? Ask any ISIS member or Viking. Anybody can go find as many women as possible and have hundreds of children. Sure. Like we've all got Viking DNA in our, in our blood test when we do that because they were good at multiplying. That's not being a father. Multiplying is not the mission. Fatherhood itself is not the mission. We have a mission and then we become a father because we want to hand that mission and legacy to others and we want to raise up others to give God glory through their mission in life. So it's ordered. And again, if we put fatherhood as the mission, then when my kid does not measure up to the perfection of sonhood, they bear the brunt of it because they're screwing up my mission by not making this father-son relationship perfect. 
You idolize them, put them on a pedestal, and they take one step to the left or the right, and they fall and are crushed by your expectations. Rather, fatherhood is a means to the mission that God has given to me. And I should, and I should also never prioritize a mission without fatherhood. Then I'm a workaholic and leave, apart, leave away my family. And then we'll do more on this last one later, but church uh, is, is also a part of the mission. It's not a distraction from the mission, and it's not itself the mission. Church is the refueling station on the mission. Church is the headquarters on the mission. It's where you meet covenantally with the one who gave you your mission. So marriage, job, father, church, all of that is ordered correctly when we think of ourselves as men with a mission. I've got a short section here, a couple of questions to ask to formulate your mission. Maybe you're sitting and thinking, I'm already old, I'm already a father and I've already got a career and all this stuff. Or maybe you're young and you're thinking, yeah, it's a bit late, but I'd like to know how to develop a specific vision for my life to give God glory. I've got a couple of questions and uh, uh, hopefully they're helpful. Number one, uh, embrace humility. Before you look at practical steps and how to formulate a mission, embrace humility. David did not sprint at the throne. He, he was first a sheep herder and shepherd boy very faithfully for many years before God called him up. Uh, and he did not even sprint for the throne. He sprinted for Goliath way, way before that. So embrace humility. And instead of trying to think of the most grandiose things, think of what God has put in front of you and what you can do uh, that will, um, in mission, embrace humility first, or you will fall over your own pride. Jesus, of course, was the son of a poor carpenter and then himself a fairly poor carpenter for 30 years before he became uh, the, the ministry Messiah. Philippians 2 shows us that to have the humble mind of Christ lays down grandeur to do whatever functionally and practically needs to be done. So, embrace humility. Let God do the exalting. Uh, second of all, stock take your skills. It really is as practical. If we pull some of the, the, the wisdom from the Proverbs, really is just as practical as asking yourself, what are you good at? Do you rock at administration? Are you great with your hands? Are you good at building things? Are you good at leadership and mustering other people together around tasks? Um, are you really good on online tech stuff that I'm not? Uh, you know, what are you good at? Stock take your skills. And these might be skills that you've been trained in. These might be skills that you have just naturally acquired, and this may even include your, your spiritual gifts. But, but let's not be functional atheists and evolutionists and think that the skills I've got and the life I've lived that gave me certain experience and skills and the degree I did or whatever, don't just think they're randomly thrown together in your life. Your life has been ordered by God. You have the skills you have on purpose. So that should weigh into our, de our developing of what God wants us to do in life. Thirdly, consider your passions. Consider what you love to do. Passions comes from the Latin word uh, root to suffer. It means if you were willing to suffer for something, that was, that was your passion. That's why it's called the passion of the Christ, the suffering of the Christ, right? Uh, so ask yourself, not just what do you love to do, but what do you do despite the cost and the difficulty? Like if you could do something and you know it's hard and despite the pay, what's the one thing you would just do despite difficulty? That passion that you have uh, may uh, uh, will lead into probably what God wants you to do on earth. I'm not saying follow your heart and follow your dreams and passions. Not saying that the heart is wicked. But I am saying, use them. Use your passion. 
bend your passion to, to fit the will of God in your life, but consider your passions. Fourthly, notice what annoys you. Notice what annoys you in life, in the church, at work, when you watch the news, think about, you know, the, the whole, the, the, maybe you see things on the, the third world, in the culture, whatever. What in your life really ticks you off when you look out at it? And, and start thinking that usually people get ticked off by stuff they don't like because that's the thing they're really good at doing or noticing and making better. Um, so think, what gets me annoyed? What ticks me off? That's probably the thing that you've got a desire to fix. Be a solution-minded guy. See a problem, don't rant and complain, but think about how, think whether that is something that God's put you on earth to fix. Big, just, this is a free one off to the side. Don't ever see a problem and assume or wait for the government to fix it. They do a terrible job all of the time. That's not bagging the government. That's bagging, it's God's order. It's not, we're not supposed to send money into a bank. They get paid and then they do a crappy job at something. You develop a mission to fix something for the next generation through your God-given gifts. We met the, the world has more government because it has less men. That's how it works. The less we govern ourselves, the more governors over us tyrannically rule. So, notice what annoys you. Fifthly, picture your deathbed. Picture now in your head, you if, if you're blessed enough to have the, the time before you're dying, before you're dead, knowing that you're dying, family around you, time to consider. Picture yourself on that kind of deathbed, 50, 60, 30 years from now. When you're there, and your family is around you, and your breath is shortening, what do you want to be able to look back on? Not necessarily something grandiose and enormous, but something you've accomplished. According to Ecclesiastes, a recognition of our mortality is a proven way to focus on what God has put us here to do. Right, so, so picture your deathbed. What, what do you want to be able to look back on? And th- I want them to remember me for that. I want them, if, if in 150 years they've got a family, uh, family tree book or a family history book, and I'm just on page 11, tucked away in a little paragraph, Tom Ford, you know, whatever, your name's there, and they've got two, two lines underneath your name amongst all of the other ancestors. What's the, what do you want to be in the two lines? Not just fathered some people, died at this age, born at this age, moved from this town to this. What do you want to be in that summary of your life? Think future, think legacy, realize the fact that you're going to die and God's word says remembering mortality makes us more effective here. <clears throat> and Okay, so we've said why we need a mission, right? We've ordered everything in our life around the fact that we have a mission. We've asked the questions just there uh, and I'll, I'll send those out so you can have those questions on your, on your record. Um, how do we develop a mission for our life? Asking those questions. And lastly, uh, this one specifically has to be spoken to Christian men. Uh, how do we make sure that our mission is not separate to the Great Commission? Right, the mission of the church and the mission of Christians in the church should not be against each other or irrelevant to each other. Um, we, we are not just able to pick up a self-help book written by a secularist or listen to some you know, men, uh, you know, become real men sort of uh, lectures that people put on YouTube. We're not just able to take those and swallow them whole. We need, to, we need to baptize them in some Christian thought because me doing great for me is just building my empire rather than God's kingdom. So, 
How do I make sure that my mission is in line with the mission of the church? They're not the same, but they, a Christian man fails at developing a godly mission for his life if it does not feed into the mission of the church. The Great Commission is this. In Tom speak, in today's context, live a life where your mission for life blesses the local church and works to see souls saved. That's the Great Commission. As you go, make disciples, teaching them, right? baptizing them. That is the Great Commission. So, so if your mission doesn't make you a blessing to the local body and more effective at kingdom expansion and gospel proclamation, it's not a biblical mission. It needs to be shaved and reformed and fixed. If you confuse them, though, you will be slack at your masculine mandate or you will fail at your Christian responsibilities. Let, let, me, let me say a couple of different options that might look like to sort of put some feet on that. If you're passive on your mission for life and you're, pas- you're passive on church, passive on your mission, passive at church, then that is just an all-around laziness and you're wasting away the life that you've been given by God. If, however, you're passive on your mission but you're super active regarding the church, it's probably just an overcompensation for the fact that you're not accomplishing much. And there's a danger for that. You're never serving the local body too much, but if you're not active on a mission and you're super active at church, you're probably just using theology and man hours and name on a roster to supplement the fact that you're not engaging in a godly mission in life. Or the third option, if you're active on your personal mission, but you're passive on church, then you've actually forgotten what your mission is. Because you're taking dominion, but it's for your own glory. And it's dominion that God has to take back. It's building your own kingdom. You're failing to weekly come and commune with your mission giver. In other words, you've switched off the communications to HQ. You've gone AWOL, they would say, in the military. You've just disappeared. You've taken a band of men. You're doing lots of hard work. But like the guy in, what's the, uh, uh, what's the movie with the bald-headed dude uh, in, the, in the guts of Vietnam? Uh, Apocalypse Now? Is that the movie? Yeah, Apocalypse Now. I haven't watched it. I'm a pastor. Goodness. But, uh, you know, he takes a band of men and he goes out and he sets up a little city and he kills all of the, all of the Viet Cong. Great. That was his job. No, he's been disconnected from the, the U.S. military and he's starting to kill people himself. So, so, sure, you may be working hard on mission, but you've gone AWOL. So, we need to be active on our mission and active in and on the church because that is taking dominion for God's glory. It's continually, when, when we make church and church involvement and the church mission involved with our mission, it enables us to continually give glory and thanks to the God who has been so gracious to us. It enables us to be continually corrected each week according to the word, because every time we go out accomplishing some mission, our dials and instruments all get tempted and thrown off cue. We come back into the station, recalibrate our moral compasses and what God has given us to do according to his word. Every week we need to be coming in renewing covenant with our mission giver, remembering that we're in submission to him, confessing our sins and being spiritually strengthened for that mission. So let me wrap up by saying this, discern and commit to a vision for your life. That's not going to happen now. I'm not going to get in small groups and decide what your mission is, but 
in prayerfully, biblically with your wife. If you don't have one, then with wise people around you. Discern the vision for your life which is a particular vision of why God made you a man, why he put you on earth, what he wants you to accomplish, and make a plan on how you can live your life productively to the glory of God. And that starts with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Any mission for a kingdom, a nation, a family, or an individual, that starts with self-atonement and self-resurrection, right? This is self-help books. You've done bad confess to yourself, get your chakras in line, uh, you know, go through this uh, uh, self-help process and then pick yourself up, give yourself back your life, take back your masculinity and do something with your life. That's self-atonement and self-resurrection. And the Christian is called to leave that behind. The world thinks in self-atonement, self-resurrection. We have Christ's atonement, which covers our our previous failures and sins and future sins. We have Christ's resurrection, which resurrects us up out of spiritual death and sin so that we can have the life and the transformative power to go on into a God-glorifying mission. We don't do that ourselves. We start with faith in Christ, repentance from our own self and lordship and own dominion, bend our knee to Jesus Christ and there have forgiveness and the Holy Spirit who carries us forward. So if you are a Christian, however old, this this needs to be how we think. If you're a non-Christian, however old, you need to think along these lines. Your own mission in life, however glorious it is, is actually against the king who will be your judge one day. So bend the knee, confess your sin, trust Jesus died for your sin, be forgiven in his name. His resurrection means that all of us have eternal life for good and live as a Christian under the submission of the word of God. It will be your glory. So um, I'm going to pray, and then Bruce is going to lead us in a couple of hymns, uh, and uh, he's going he's gonna to play Amazing Grace first, and then Nothing But the Blood. Is that all right, Bruce? Yep, good. Uh, and I told you in the emails to screen capture um, the, the lyrics to those songs, because I don't, didn't have handouts this time. Uh, if you didn't, follow Jake, because he's loud, and he knows the words to all of them off by heart, right? <laughs> Which verses are we doing? They, that will be, that'll be in the email. It will be in the email, so we can just look there. Yeah, it, it's in the email. If you uh, still have internet, you can scroll down to the bottom of the email and see the lyrics there. Um, uh, men's Bricky Info. So let me pray over us, and then um, we'll, we'll uh, let Bruce take us away into some, into some song to the good Lord. Father God, we glorify you. We thank you because you have made us fearfully and wonderfully in your image, and especially as men, and we thank you for that design. Uh, We recognize that it is a high responsibility, a high calling, a great load to bear, and we uh, ask your forgiveness, Lord, for where we have failed and and, uh, 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 come in lacking in that, where we have used what you've given us for self-lordship, for misogyny, for mistreatment of others, for selfishness, for pride, for sexual gain. Would you forgive us, Lord, and would you cleanse us And don't leave us neutered, but cleanse us and make us powerful for the mission that you've given to us, which is to see souls saved, the church built up, your kingdom developed, and each of us have a specific role to play. So, Lord, I pray for the men here. I thank you for them. Thank you for the hearts that they have, the willingness to hear the word of God and order their life according to it. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, uh, give to us a measure of your Holy Spirit that would enable us to live out our mission in this world uh, through our church to see Jesus glorified and his kingdom expanded in these days. 
We thank you, Lord, for your grace and for all of your promises in the great and glorious word of God. And everybody said...